address. And we were here to look at some things in the culture of church and how this city views church and how this city uh, thinks about church and, and is church important, the value you place on church and those type of things. And so I talked from my heart that night. And, you know, I, I, this past week I was kind of going through preparing for this morning and um, was taking a look at some of the things I have preached on. And pretty much there's a better pattern. And I didn't even do it purposefully. But a lot of what I've been addressing is lifestyle. And, uh, you know, obviously we spent 10 weeks on a Wednesday evening talking about renewing our minds. Why? To live out a lifestyle. Renewing your mind isn't just so you can think happy thoughts and go to, go to bed at night, you know, peaceful and, you know, I'm only thinking good things. It's to live out a lifestyle that's on the inside of us. And um, so what I'm going to be talking about tonight pretty, or this morning pretty much falls right in line with that identifying a culture and where we're at and why we're here as believers, why we're here as a church, why we're in Valdosta, Georgia. Uh, what are we doing? Because, you know, you've heard me say it many times. We're not here to do church and we're not here to play church and we're not here to do what the next person down the street's doing and then one-up them. Um, I'm, I'm here to do what God wants us to do, and I really feel that we're here to change some things in this city. Um, it's really why the body of Christ is in the church as a whole, all over the United States, all over the world. But specifically in this city, there's a purpose and a call. And so we've kind of been looking at that, and this morning we're falling right in line with that. And so let's look at this in Luke chapter 12, um, starting with verse 49. And this is Jesus speaking. He said, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. He's obviously talking about his death. Verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son. Son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, this is very uh, confrontational, and this can be misunderstood very quickly, but you find it odd to see that Jesus, right out the gate, verse 51, says, Do you suppose that I came to bring peace? And his answer is, no. Not at all. In fact, I came to divide. Now that's interesting because we, we even know that the Bible refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. So why is he here to divide? What's he splitting up? What's he separating? This morning's message is titled, Separated. And what I want to look at is what does this separation mean? We've got the slide up here. And there's actually something I want to point here, point out. And this is actually what separated means in the Webster's Dictionary. It says to part or divide, to part company with, to form a boundary between. When Jesus says that he came to separate or to divide, and there's no peace there, he's talking about the message that he's preaching. And by this time, we know what Jesus came to bring a message of. His message was about a kingdom. His message was about a government system that was originally placed in the earth by God in Genesis chapter 21. When God placed man on the earth, he set up a kingdom just like what's in heaven. And he expected this earth to run and rule and operate and be governed as heaven is operated. And God did not expect to rule and operate this earth himself. He put man on the earth to do that. Genesis 1.26, he delegates or hands over that authority to mankind. We know this. Obviously, man sinned and lost that authority, handed over to the enemy, and, and today we see the world as it is being ruled and being run by Satan himself. So we see death. We see sickness. We see uh, the division and the strife, and, and actually the stuff that Jesus is mentioning is happening. We've already got families fighting. We've got our, we already have families splitting. We already see that there's no peace. So why is Jesus coming here and saying, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring division. What he's saying is, is the message of the kingdom 
is so clear, is so black and white, it will force people to choose either one way or the other. And there will, no, there will be no in-between. There will be no, I'm on the fence with this thing. There won't be any one foot in the world and one foot not in the world, in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, I am bringing a message that does have peace. I am bringing a message that does have life. I am bringing a message that answers questions. The division comes on whether you will choose it or not. And we saw this in Jesus' own ministry. I mean, Jesus' own ministry came under some of the worst opposition ever seen. I mean, no one knew opposition like Jesus knew it. No one knew uh, people getting offended at what he was saying like Jesus did. I mean, it's unreal to the point they put him to death. I mean, the reason Jesus died was because of his message and because he, who he claimed to be and what he was preaching. That's why Jesus died. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Okay? And obviously that was the plan of God, that he had to die to get sin out of man so God could put his spirit back in man. We know this. But that death came because of what he preached and what he said. Remember, he said, I, I lay down my life. No one can touch me. No one can kill me. No one can do anything to me. I lay down my life. But that was the way he went. And that was because of the, the division that his word brought. That was because of the division. And it's, it's interesting to note here that Jesus points immediately to a family. Probably one of the closest knit things we can think of. If you think of people that are close, you go to the family first. You go to mothers and daughters, fathers and sons. Brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. And he's, what is he saying? He's saying even the closest of relationships are, can be disposed of because of the message that I'm bringing. This message is so uh, definitive. This message is so, uh, can separate you so much that even the closest of relationships, naturally speaking, can be split. That's the power of this message. So this is the separation. This is the division that he's talking about. Is his message a message of peace? Yes. It's a message of hope. It is a message of life. And I can be at peace with those, and I can come into unity with those that accept the message for what it is as well. And this whole denomination thing gets thrown right out the window real quick. Because denominations are simply based on somebody believing what they believe about the Bible and somebody else believing what they believe about the Bible, and we just choose to believe what we want to believe. And I'm not upset at you for what you believe. You can be true, and I can be true, and it's just not that way. The black and white gospel that Jesus is depicting here is separating. And there's one on one side and one on the other. But part of this separation is based on a lifestyle. That's why I opened up and said that we're here to confront a lifestyle because the lifestyle is what separates us. We know that Jesus said that you are in the world, but not of the world. So right there is a separation. Right there is a, if you are of me, then you aren't of what's in the world. And he clearly says, you're either of the world or you're of me, one or the other. I love how he just makes it clear. He just makes it simple. He just draws the line right down the middle and says, you're either here or you're here. And God was always doing that. God was always dividing. Let's look at some other instances of division. First of all, the word church. The word church actually comes from a Greek word, ecclesia, or ecclesia, however you want to say it. Ecclesia. That word, ecclesia, actually means called out actually means pulled out from a group, which means you were in a group, and now I have called you out of that group. I have what? Separated or divided you from that group. That's the word church. And the sad part is, is we got so many churches today that are trying to look like the world and trying to do things that the world does to appeal to those people. You know, Jesus didn't have to do anything that anyone in the world did to appeal to them. The word appealed. He didn't have to do drugs to get on, down on the online and on the same ground floor as a drug dealer. 
He didn't have to go and commit adultery to be able to save a woman that was caught in the middle of adultery. He didn't have to take on leprosy to help someone who had leprosy. I know you I feel your pain, brother. I know what you're going through. No, he said, I've got the answer. I'm so different and I'm so divided and so separated from you that I actually have the answer for what you need. And I can pull you out of it without feeling what you're feeling and without knowing what you're going through and without knowing the pain that it's bringing you. I can pull you right out of that. I have the answer. Here's another word. Holy. The word holy, the actual definition in the Greek for holy, means to be set apart. To be set apart, to be pulled out of one thing and set apart and put set aside for a different use. And it actually means set apart for a good work. For a good work. So there's actually a work or a use that we've been set aside for. Not just you, you're over here and you're over here. We've been set apart for a good work. Here's another word. Sanctified. The word sanctified means to set aside. And we know the word says to sanctify yourselves or be sanctified. So that means to be to set aside. Consecrated, another one, means to set apart. Consecrate yourself. Set apart your lives. For what? For a good work. So all of these denote distinguishing from one to another. When, you, when something is set aside, when you take the, the good out of the bad or you pluck the bad out of the good, what are you trying to do? You're trying to distinguish between what's good and what's bad. It should be noticeable. Now, here's the thing. The setting aside or the separating doesn't happen when you die. Well, now I've been separated from the world and I'm with God. The separating takes place now. The setting aside, I mean, the word tells us, Paul told us to be holy as I am holy. Now, not one day I'll be as holy as God. That means be set apart Now, do things and distinguish your lifestyle so you'll be recognized as different from everything that's around you. Romans chapter 12. Let's look at that. Romans chapter 12. We've looked at this verse quite a bit. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... He's not saying your spirits present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, set apart, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So there's a service that comes beyond setting yourself aside. Verse two, and do not be conformed to what this world. So he's telling you. Everyone runs the risk of conforming to what's around them. Everybody in the world has the opportunity available to them to become what's around you. I'm telling you, be holy, set aside, set apart your life from the world. Now, here's what I'm not telling you. Here's what I'm not saying this morning. I am not saying you cannot have any dealings with the world. In fact, we're going to find out this morning that being set apart is what makes you, uh, is what gives you the opportunity to minister to the world. Because that set apart is not set apart so I can't talk to you, hang out with you, do things with you. It means you have been set apart so now you can do something for them, for the world. We are here for the world. The church is in the earth for the world. The church is the answer for the world. We've been looking, you know, on Sunday evenings about uh, the church being the body of Christ, which means what Christ wants done in the earth, what Jesus wants to get done in the earth, he has now given that to the church to do it. Matthew chapter 16, he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he saying? I have gone to heaven. And everything that I want to get done in the earth, I'm going to tell you right now, the earth is a very high priority to God. He has not forgotten about the earth. He has not turned his back on the earth. And as terrible and horrible uh, things may seem, as bad as things may get, God hasn't turned around and said, 
forget them. I'm, I'm off doing my own thing, and now we're just stuck here fending for ourselves. Everything that God does is trying to get the earth back in order the way that he wanted it. But how does he do that? Through us, through his church. That's why Jesus told Peter, I will, I will build my church on the earth. And so whatever I want done on the earth, you do it. Whatever I want bound, whatever I want loosed, whatever my will in heaven is and that I want done on earth, I'm doing it through you. But what does he need? He needs people that are set apart. He needs people that are consecrated, sanctified, holy for what? A good work. Not set apart saying I'm holier than you and I can't interact with you. I can't talk with you because you do these things and I do these things and we're just not the same person. That would actually be going backwards. That would actually be undoing what God wanted done. He's placed us here not just to tell everybody, hey, this is what God looks like and if you want to be like God, then you've got to do what I do, but I can't do anything with you until you're... That ain't the point. We're supposed to get them to God. Okay? So let's look at this, the world. Let's look at this whole term because it says, do not conform to the world. What is the world? 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. The other thing that I'm not saying is that you can't look, act, talk like, or do anything that the world's doing. You know, I, I was raised in a church growing up where, you know, one of the smaller churches that I was, uh, that I grew up in, that preached that you couldn't wear anything they wore, you couldn't hang out with people in the world, you couldn't go places because the world went there. I mean, I, I, you know, certain things that if I just surrounded myself with automatically undid everything God did for me. Really, his work's not strong enough to get me out of that. So, you know, you had a, you had a dress horrible, you looked terrible, uh, you know, everyone's got long hair because you can't cut your hair. I mean, just dumb, stupid religious rituals, man-made rules. And God was never about man-made rules. He already put the rules in place. So why do we have to go and redo them or rewrite them? But there are churches that do this. So many stipulations because they think that's what the world looks like. But look at this, First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So up there in verse 16, for all that is in the world, and it lists three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is the world defined. The world is doing what you see, doing what you want to do, what your own desires are, and doing whatever boosts your ego, the pride of life. That's the world. Doesn't mean I can't wear fashionable jeans. It doesn't mean I can't wear cologne. Doesn't mean I can't cut my hair or whatever else. Doesn't mean I can't look good and doesn't mean I can't drive certain vehicles and live in certain neighborhoods. Oh, that's that's associated with the world. I remember there was a pastor once, um, somebody, I, for, I forget how he obtained this money, but he had a... a project he needed i think like fifteen thousand dollars for some kind of building project and somebody came in um i I think it was lottery money or something and came in with ten thousand dollars and so you know he went to his board and said look we already got there's ten thousand of it right there and um and the board said whoa you can't you can't use that money for the kingdom it's tainted it's tainted money and he said he said, it ain't, it ain't enough. I need 15. I'm five short. It ain't enough. He said, it don't matter where it came from. It matters what I'm doing with it. Amen? So if I'm just, if I'm just concerned about not driving a certain car, 
because that's what the world goes after. That's what the world seeks. But if you're seeking the kingdom with your car, if you're seeking the kingdom with your house, then we're not concerned with that. That's not even the world. We miss the whole thing. Because the people that are preaching that stuff, they're still doing whatever they see, and they're still doing whatever their flesh feels good doing, and doing whatever boosts their ego and gets them a step up in life. That's the world. He, he defines it right there. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That is the world. That is what we have been separated from. You have been separated, consecrated, sanctified, made holy, so you can get away from being controlled by what you see, being controlled by what drives you, and being controlled by what gets you a step up on somebody else. Those are the three things we've been pulled out of. But it doesn't mean we don't have any interaction with the world. Let's look a little bit further. First uh, John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. A couple chapters over. Verse 4 says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Well, who's the he that's in the world? The enemy, Satan. But he just says here, you are of God. He doesn't say, you are of God, so don't have any interaction with the world. He goes ahead and reminds you, by the way, I have you in the world. You're not of the world. And what I've put inside of you is able to overcome anything in the world that would try to slow you down or stop you. Why is he telling you that? Because he ain't trying to get you out. Why would he have to put something greater in you that could defeat you or defeat the world if he just plans on yanking you out anyways? But that ain't the answer. He said, I want you in the world. I want you to influence and impact the earth the way I called you to. So... I put something inside of you that will defeat anything that could ever come against you in the world. Because he knows the world will bring opposition to what you're trying to do. And while you're trying to do good and while you're trying to to influence for my kingdom and make impact on the earth for my kingdom, there are things that will try to come against you and stop you. We saw this with anybody in the Bible. I mean, every single person in the Bible that was doing anything for God, there was opposition. You can go all the way back to Noah, people making fun of him trying to build an ark, all the way down to Paul. And we know his repertoire, we know his list of, he was, you know, beat this many times, stoned to death this many times, shipwrecked this many times, left for dead this many times. I mean, there was opposition coming. So he goes ahead and lets you know, I've got you in the world. You're not of the world, and I've placed something inside of you that will defeat the world. So while you're going around doing what I've called you to do, know that there's nothing in the earth that can stop you. He's going ahead and letting you know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, next chapter over. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I heard one minister say it this way. If it's in the world, your faith can whip it. If it's in the world, if it's of the world, then your faith has got it beat every time. It's just a matter of putting our faith. But why is he making this statement? Because he's not trying to pull you out. He's separating you, but he's not trying to yank you out. Jesus told a parable about this in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We are separated, not pulled out, but separated for a good work. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Notice good seed was put in. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, And went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But look what he says. No. 
lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Apparently, he was concerned with the wheat coming out. He wanted the wheat there. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is a depiction of the world today. God sowed in Genesis chapter 1 good soil into the earth. But while men slept, while Adam and Eve were darkened in their minds by the enemy, the enemy did what? Sowed tares. So now in the earth today, we have wheat, which is kingdom citizens, believers, Christians, and we have tares which is people of the world. So, the man asked him, let's go ahead and yank up all all the wheat. Let's just get them on out of there. And he says, no. At first, the the men said, let's let's get rid of all the tares. And he said, no, we're not going to do that because I'm concerned about the wheat because the wheat will also come up. He needs the wheat to stay. So, what does he say? He says that in the end, at harvest time, That's when I'll do the ultimate separation. That's where I'll go ahead and pluck it all out, and I'll divide then. There will be an ultimate separation. But the thing is, is you have to separate yourself today so he knows what he's separating in the end. Let me say it again. We have to separate ourselves now because if you don't distinguish yourself as wheat today, then he's not going to know you as wheat in the end. And when the ultimate harvest comes, you're going to end up getting thrown out with the tares and burned up instead of going, going out as wheat like we ought to. So the separation has to take place with us in ourselves. This is our responsibility. This is our call. We separate ourselves. We sanctify ourselves. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to clean us up, but we have the responsibility of applying what this word says we have the responsibility of putting this into practice and living this lifestyle so in the end when judgment day comes when the ultimate separation takes place we will be pulled out as wheat and not as tares we have to do this separation within ourselves this is what has taken place look what happens when this separation takes place acts chapter 4 acts chapter 4 This is what this separation, this ought to be noticeable. I'm telling you, we should be so separated that it's noticeable to people. You know, I've said before, an apple tree does not wear a sign on it that says, I'm an apple tree. What gives you the, what lets you know? The fruit. And Jesus himself told us we ought to be bearing fruit. There's fruit that ought to be showing off of us that people know that's a Christian. There's a certain lifestyle. There's a certain way of living. There's a certain thing that should be happening that people are around you and they know there's something different. I know uh, Smith Wigglesworth, there was a testimony given to him that there was one time he was on a bus and there was this guy on the bus with him. And when Smith Wigglesworth went to get off the bus, he was a, a minister back in the early 1900s. When he went to get off the bus, the man said, Your presence, just your presence, being near me, has convicted me of my sin. He never said one word. You know what the cool thing is about light and salt in the earth? Remember Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt in the earth. They don't have a mouth. Light and salt make no noise. Light and salt don't say nothing. They just do their job. They just shine and they just... Help slow things, help decay, slow down, and flavor things, and purify things. That's what they do. You don't don't have to put a, a sign on a light that says, this is the light. In fact, Jesus says that the light overcomes the darkness. When Jesus first came in John chapter 1, uh, John wrote of him that the light came into the world and the light comprehended it not. Didn't even understand it. Didn't even know who Jesus was. And we know this. 
They didn't know who Jesus was. They wouldn't have killed him. The Bible says if they had known who they were putting to death, they'd have never done it. If the devil knew what was going to come after he put him to death, he'd have never done it. He'd have never done it. If he would have realized that if I kill this man, then I'm going to get a million of him on the earth. He'd have been all right with just the one doing his thing. Tearing up Galilee and Nazareth and Jerusalem and doing all the stuff in that region. But now what's he done? He's just exploded this thing. Right? That's the light. And light and salt, they don't, have, they don't make any noise. They don't talk. They just do their job. Acts chapter 4. Look at this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Just to get you caught up a little bit. Peter and John, this is right after the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come upon their life. And Peter... You know, when you look at Jesus' staff, his 12 disciples, they're a mess, man. They were a mess. But Peter was probably one of the most messed up of them all. I mean, he's jumping out of boats. He's yelling at people. Uh, you know, he's cutting guys' ears off, uh, ready to kill people, you know, drop of a hat. He's got a temper. Um, just the big, burly, messed up guy. Okay? And we know that he told Jesus that, man, I'm not going to deny you. Jesus said, I'm gonna, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, I won't. In fact, I, I just saw this hilarious thing on, um, on Twitter. I don't know how many of you guys use that, but uh, there's this one that someone set up. It's like uh, funny uh, daily Bible things. And so it's like if people in the Bible had a Twitter, what would they do? And, <laughs> and so one of them was from Simon Peter, and he said, Jesus just bet me I wouldn't deny him three times. This is easy money. But we obviously know how that thing ended up. So, but anyway, so Peter's just this messed up guy. Obviously, Jesus forgives him, and he ends up being the cornerstone of the church. So this is the Peter we're dealing with. And in chapter 4, they walk by a guy that, uh, or in chapter 3, I'm sorry, they walk by a guy that's lame, sitting at a gate called Beautiful, asking of alms. And we know they said, look, we don't have any silver and gold. We don't have what you're looking for. We got something better than what you're looking for. We got the answer to the problem. Instead of helping you up, I'm going to, or instead of holding you up, I'm going to help you up so you can stand on your own. Let's go ahead and get you healed so you can go out and get your own job. You don't have to sit here at this gate doing this thing anymore. That's what God's about. That's what God's about. Okay? So chapter 4, just as they did with Jesus, the... The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the government is not excited about what's taking place. But look what happens here in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness, Peter and John had been arrested at this point. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. This is the light in the world. This is the salt in the earth. This is Acts 14, Acts 4:13 is the separation Jesus is talking about. He's not saying I'm yanking you out so you don't have anything to do with the earth. He's saying I'm setting you aside and putting you in the earth, be distinguished and be realized and recognized as somebody different than everything else that they're seeing. And this is the influence and the impact you will have. This is what your life will be like. They realized they had been with Jesus. And of course, you know, this didn't happen too long after Jesus has died. So they know who Jesus is. And now they're recognizing that these men have been with Jesus. Why? Because they're doing the same things he did. Because they are in this earth. They are separated from everything else that's going on. Here's something cool. Being separated pulls you out of having to be limited by the surrounding you're in. Let me put it this way. Being separated from the world, although in it, you are now no longer limited to the systems of this world. That means your provision, I said this last week when we were talking about the unseen realm and the seen seen realm. And when you operate according to the unseen realm, you are now no longer limited to just what is in the seen realm. I'm not limited by this economy. I'm not limited by this government. I'm not limited by anything that this world could try to put on me. 
because I am of another kingdom. I've been separated out. I have given myself to another government and to another ruler, and that is God. So he becomes my priority, and he becomes my provision. He becomes my need. He becomes my want. He's now my access. It's not about what's happening in this government. You know, I, I remember hearing one, one minister say uh, during, you know, when all the recession talk was going on is that the church should be recession-proof. And this is true. We should not be limited by what's, we're not ignorant of it. We don't ignore it. Remember it said, do not live by, do not walk by what you see, but by what you don't see. Walk by faith. So apparently we can see what can't be seen. Apparently we have access to what can't be seen. Well, this goes for separation. Because when you're separated, when you truly give your life as being separated, that means that I'm not being bound by what's around me anymore. I'm not being bound by the job that I'm in. And they say I don't have the training. They say I didn't go to school long enough. They say I don't have the ability to move up. But God can give me favor and move me up. See, when you're limited by what's around you, then whatever you've done naturally to get you anywhere, that's what you're stuck to. If you didn't finish high school, you're stuck to that. If you went to community college, you're stuck to that. If you went and you got your Ph.D., then you're stuck to that. But with God, there are no limits. There are no lines which means he can move you past anything that your natural ability will hold you to. I remember when we were teaching, um, when I was teaching Kingdom Institute down in St. Augustine, um, you know, there's some people in those classes that hadn't been in school for a long time. Uh, we had one guy that didn't even finish the 10th grade. And so he was real concerned about having to go back to school and, you know, just being in a classroom setting, real nervous about it. And I told him, I said, this thing isn't about your natural man. This thing isn't about your brain and your mental capacity and what you think you can handle. This is about your spirit. You are training your spirit. So you are no longer bound by those limitations. Throw them out. Get rid of it. Get rid of the past. Get rid of that thought process because it can't hold you down anymore. You are now whatever your spirit needs to access. I don't care how fast you write. I don't care how well you spell. I don't care what your grammar is like. I don't care if you know how to study or write an essay or even what a paragraph is. You rely on your spirit, man. You'll find yourself bringing back to remembrance the Holy Spirit will. That's what it says. Jesus gives job descriptions of the Holy Spirit, and one of them is to bring to remembrance his word. If the Holy Spirit isn't bringing things to your remembrance, he's failing at his job. A lot of us, if we fail at our job, we get fired. Well, there ain't no one firing the Holy Spirit. He's doing his job. And he's bringing to remembrance those things that we've heard, those things that have been spoken. I said, you don't, you don't rely on your natural abilities any longer. From this day forward, right now, you start confessing that my spirit man is what's going to drive me. My spirit man, where? In an unseen realm. You can't see it. But come test time, you remember. Come essay time, you've got it. And you'll find yourself exceeding things in the natural because of something you can't see. I've seen people and, and heard stories of people uh, that got a hold of that concept and their job took off. Guys coming out of jail, and you know how hard it is to get a job coming out of jail, starting businesses and hiring other people that came out of jail. I mean, that's what, that's what the kingdom's about. Not being limited by this natural system. If I get a hold of God's word and I get a hold of God's ability for my life in this unseen kingdom that I'm really a part of, there ain't nothing that can stop me. Why? Because he needs me to do this. He needs me to have that job to influence people for the kingdom. He needs me to uh, uh, you know, get a hold of this or get a hold of that for the kingdom. If we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all things will be added. And there's nothing limiting to us. There's nothing that can hold you back. There's nothing that can slow you down. And so that's what this separation is all about. If we separate ourselves to that kingdom, and I'm telling you, there will be a visible distinguishing act. What's happening on the inside in an unseen realm, it will show itself in the seen realm. And people will see you. People will know there's something different about you on your job. People will know there's something different you with your customers. There's, people will know that there is something different with you when they're in the grocery store. 
People will find themselves attached to you. People will find themselves coming up to you. You will find yourself going to people because you're kingdom-minded. And it's not about, well, they're not the same as me. There's no racial line. There's no uh, age line. There's no gender line. There's nothing that comes between the unseen spirit of a man. Nothing. So look at this one last verse. And I didn't write it down, so I'll just tell it to you. I'll just tell it to you. Paul said, I think it's in 2 Timothy. Let me look it up. Paul was speaking to Timothy. And he's talking about this holy life. He's talking about his lifestyle that is to be different. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. For those of you that don't know, Paul was mentoring and setting up Timothy to take over the largest church in this area in Ephesus. This church in Ephesus had around 100,000 people in it, in one church. Now, Ephesus was a very large city, and it was a port city, so it was kind of a coming together of a lot of other cities. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he says this. He says, who has saved us, And called us, he's talking about God, with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Why is he giving you something that occurred before time began? Because before time began is when he planted all this stuff in the earth to operate a certain way. So if I want to get that back, then I need to give man what he had in the beginning. But look at this. In verse 9, at the very beginning, he says, Saved us and called us with a holy calling. What is he saying? He's saying, I need you to be holy because what I'm calling you to do is holy. I need to separate you and set you apart Because what I'm calling you to do is separated and set apart. I'm calling you to do something different. I'm telling you, this takes a whole new breed. He's calling us to do something different than what the rest of the world is doing. The rest of the world is running and looking at their jobs and trying to get money and trying to put food on the table and, and, and searching and seeking after and using everything they have for their own personal gain. And he's saying, I'm calling you to do something different than the whole rest of the world is doing. There is a purpose and a plan inside each of us that is holy. Simply means it's set apart. It's different. It is set aside. So, to form a boundary between. That boundary is not to separate ourselves off from the world and cut ourselves off from the world. But when you set that boundary, then you don't run the limit of coming out of that calling and doing what the rest of the world is doing. This is what Paul meant in Romans chapter 12 called confirmation. Conformation, meaning becoming what's around you. When you conform, you just you blend in. You just look like everything else around you. So you're going to your job for the same reason everyone else is going to their job. You're raising a family on the same principles everyone else is raising their family. You're living according to this government and economic system like everybody else is. You're after everything you can for your own personal gain like everybody else is. But when you form that boundary, you keep yourself within the unseen realm, within God's kingdom and what he wants for your life, the calling he's placed us while being in the world. You remember in John chapter 17, we covered it a few weeks ago. And that was where Jesus prayed a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is praying for his disciples. He's getting ready to go die on the cross. And he's praying for his disciples. We know that he you know, said, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, let it pass. But he was praying for his disciples there at the beginning. And he said, I am sending them into the world just as you sent me. 
And he said, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. Let's look at it. I've got I to show it to you. One last verse. We'll close with this. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. You've got to see it. Because this will change everything. There's, you know, we've been running around that Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross, forgive us our sins, and take us to heaven. And it's just not the case. Heaven is a byproduct, but Jesus' purpose for dying on the cross was to get us to be an influence in this world. But he needs us to be separated. He needs us to be holy. Otherwise, we'll just do what everybody else is doing. There's enough people in the world doing what the world's doing. Amen? Uh, Verse 15. This is Jesus. This is Jesus praying. And earlier in the chapter, you know, he's thanking God for those that he gave him. And he reminds God, look, I kept them in your word. All I was doing was talking your word. All I did was show them how to work your word. And look what he says here in verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Well, that sounds a lot like what we read over in 1 John chapter 4. You are of God, and he who is in the world is not greater than he who is in you. Doesn't that, that sounds just like that. Although you're in the world, you're not of the world. Whatever you are of determines what you are. I am of my mother and father, therefore I am a Brady. So if you are of the world, it determines what you are, what you do, how you live your life. But since you are of God, and God is what? Holy. Therefore, we are required to be holy. Why? We're in his family. We are of God. And we are in the world, which is not of God, and which is in opposition of what we carry, but we have the greater one living inside of us. That's victory. That's exciting. Look, this is, this, is not, this is not a message of you're living terrible and get it right because you don't know why you're really here. This is a message of victory. This is a message of life because this is knowing you're not bound to the same system that everyone's living by. You're not bound to the same lifestyle and the, and the same things that are – this is exciting. And if we come up under and we – Live by what we're hearing. If we live a separated life, know that you are giving yourself to something else that is greater than you you are. That something is placed inside of you to overcome every obstacle in this world. There are plenty of obstacles. There's plenty of bills. There's plenty of job situations. There's plenty of layoffs. There's plenty of money problems. There's plenty of car problems, house problems. There's a whole bit that we can give ourselves to. But understanding that we are separated, living a holy life that is set apart and set aside for a holy work, then we can give ourselves to who we really come up under. And we're not bound by the world, not bound by the limitations, and then we are influenced and an impact. And then people see us and want to know, what are you of? What's different about you? And how do I get that? I'm telling you, if people want what we have. And they might, not act, they might not act like it. And you know what is funny is people that I know that specifically oppose church and oppose the kingdom, they're still in search for what we have. They just think they're going to find it somewhere else. That's amazing to me. Regardless of how much you oppose me, regardless of how much you're against me, you still want what I got. And you're going to go all over the place looking for it, but I've got the answer. I've been saying it from, the, from day one. The church should be the answer for the world. The church should be the answer. People should be coming to churches for loans. People should be coming to, to, to churches for uh, leadership and, and business training and for these type of things. The church should be able to offer that. The church should be in every entity. Should, the church should be in government. You know, the church needs to separate. We don't need to have anything. No, the church needs to be in government. Could you imagine if we had a president of the United States that was spirit-led by God himself? Senate members. Council members, down to city. 
I mean, I'm telling you, uh, the processes that we're going through with the city, I know that they are going as easy as they are because there are men and women that fear God on that board. I know that. I know that. I don't know if I told you all that the day that I had the TRC meeting, that night my wife and I go to some Mexican restaurant, never even been there, and I just said, hey, let's try it, just randomly. And the head of the meeting was there. He was sitting right over in the corner. And so I saw him, and I was going to get up and go say something to him, and then him and his wife, they bow and pray over their food. So I'm like, hmm, yeah, I'm really going to go talk to him now. And he ended up beating me. He ended up, I guess, catching me out of the corner of his eye or something and came over and talked to us. I had just met with him, remember my name and everything. That is what we need in everything. Tim Tebow, I mean, he may be pulling it at the last second, and, you know, today he's going to play a real quarterback. We'll see what happens. But, but you know, I wouldn't put it past him. Why? Because he's got the kingdom on his side. And you know what God's doing? You know what God's doing? God is preparing. God is propelling his ministry. It's not even about winning a football game. It's about saying, look, all my faith and all my trust is in God. And if I pull it out with 21 seconds left to tie the game and then win in overtime, I'll do it. And you'll see me get the W every time because I give all the glory to my God. And, you know, God is that type of person anyways to get it done at the last second to get it done when it seems like it's insurmountable? I mean, is the Bible not full of that stuff? It's not his last second. God's saying, that's all I needed was one second. You serious? I didn't need 60 minutes or 40 minutes or however long the games are. It's about the kingdom. And God is how long? 48. 60 in the NFL, okay. I knew I was in there somewhere. My sport is baseball, and there is no time limit. It's nine innings, and it's got as long as you can go, as long as you need to finish it out. Um, Yeah, more than that. So, anyways, but the the kingdom needs to be in all these entities. We need to be in the music industry. Are you kidding me? That's why I love seeing uh, Christian people that are coming out of their church choirs or coming out of their worship teams getting on American Idol and using it for the right reasons. And then taking that fame and continuing to doesn't matter if they don't get number one. They got to where they needed to be to spread the gospel of the kingdom. That's what we need. We don't need to be shying away. We need to get away from entertainment. We need to get away from sports. We need to get out of government and the economy. No, we need godly men and women in those positions, in those places to influence being holy, being set apart for a good work, and drawing all men to them. God said that when these things happen, he gets the glory. He's glorified. Well, I want to glorify God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you this morning that you have set us apart. You have sanctified.